Lord, we thank you for your mercy, your goodness, your kindness, your love that you bestow toward us. And today, Father, I pray that of all four soils, <laughs> that this group here, Father God, that their hearts are good soil, receiving your word, producing 30, 60, and 100-fold in Jesus' mighty name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may take your seats. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? It's always exciting for me to come to the Word because there's so much hope in the Word. There's so much direction in the Word. There's so much wisdom in the Word. And oftentimes what happens is uh, we are always on our path in life. Let me say it this way. We're always on the direction that we have chosen for ourselves. But when I go to the Word, it's almost like God gives me a brand new direction. He revives my direction. He revives, He, he calls me to do course directions consistently. And that's what happens to me when I read the Word. As a matter of fact, the Word is like a mirror. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But the Word is like a mirror, and it shows you uh, what part of you needs to have a course correction. And so today is somewhat like that, because I want to talk with you today about what the glory of God is and how our lives can glorify Him. Oftentimes, we hear the statement, to God be the glory. Sole Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. And uh, we tend to say that a lot, but we don't necessarily know what it means. And I grew up in a Christian environment, Pentecostal, and then charismatic, and then word faith, and then prosperity, gospel. And uh, I have picked up many statements like you may have picked up many statements. And one of them is, Jesus is Lord, but we don't quite know what the word Lord means until we realize, Karyos, Jesus is Lord, Karyos, He is in fact your boss, my boss. <laughs> and because He's Lord, then He saves us. But most of the time, people want to just make Him Savior without, allow, without seeing Him as Lord of their lives. Now, whether you agree that Jesus is Lord or not, doesn't matter. He is always Lord. He is King of Kings, and we can't make Him any different just because we agree or decided that He's not. No, He is Lord, but God is glorified. And we need to understand what this means. Now, the term glory of God is used in both Old Testaments and New Testament. And it is used in multiple ways. However, what I'd like to do is I would like to focus on the primary and secondary way of viewing the glory of God. First, we will view the glory of God as the weightiness of God. This is what it actually means, the weightiness of God. Secondly, we will view the glory of God and His invisible attributes or as His invisible attributes being made visible. His invisible qualities being revealed to us. That's the glory of God. So let's first consider uh, the, the primary Definition or the first definition of the glory of God, which is the weightiness of God. Now imagine you get to, to attend a small private meeting with the wisest person who ever lived in history next to Jesus, which was really Solomon. But let's say, take time out of the equation, that you were able to sit in a small room with a 
small group of people. And here is the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he is about to announce or make the most profound statement of his life. It's about to come from his mouth. The room is quiet. You can hear a pin drop. He stands up. And what he's about to say is possibly the most important thing to know outside of Christ. What would your attitude be? Would you be sitting there thinking about like, yeah, what am I having for dinner tonight? <laughs> would you be distracted? No, you would be absolutely focused in on what he's about to say. You would hang from every word that comes from his mouth. There would be a total seriousness about every single statement made by him. You would lean in. And you would hear with absolute clarity, to the best of your ability, every single statement made by Him. Have you ever stood, have you ever sat down listening to somebody that you really needed to know what they said? There's a gravity to it. There's a seriousness about it. There's a presence about what's being said. You are not thinking about the chicken in the oven. You're not thinking about what show you're going to watch later or which pizza you're going to order. No, you think you're right there in that moment. Now, in the very same way, the glory of God is in fact the seriousness of God. The glory of God <clears throat> is in fact the weightiness of His person, of His will, of His attributes. The weightiness of who He is. He is not, in other words, to be taken lightly. Our culture has trivialized Christ in a way that really He shouldn't be trivialized in. He's no longer the priority to many people when in fact He is. He should be. Now we have mugs or we have t-shirts that says, Buddy Jesus, you know. And we trivialize, make light of the glory of God, because that's who He is, the express glory of God. We ought not to view Him that way. He is not to be considered amongst other, among others. No, He is the only, and He's to be taken for who He really is, the Creator of the universe, the one who is from eternal, eternity past to eternity future. He is the judge of the ages. So in, us, in, in our first definition, the glory of God is in fact the weightiness and the seriousness of who He really is without trivializing Him in any way. Secondly, our second definition, which is where we're going to park and spend the rest of today in, is that the glory of God can be explained as the beauty of God revealed, the power of God on display. The goodness, the grace, and the mercy of God expressed. The justice of God made manifest. In other words, God's glory is when His invisible attributes are made visible or knowable. Every single time you've looked into Scriptures and you've discovered something true about God, that's His glory revealed to you. It's when His Invisible attributes are made knowable. It's when His invisible attributes are put on display 
So let's talk for a moment about where we find this definition. How did we arrive at this definition? Because what we're going to do today is we're first going to discover what it means to say to God be the glory or the glory of God. And then what we're going to do is ask the question, how can my life glorify Him? All right. So we first learned that the glory of God is the weightiness of God. That means my life glorifies God when I do not trivialize what He says. Romans chapter 1, they refused to acknowledge Him, and therefore He gave them over to a defective thinking, a defective mind. That's what we see in culture. When you see culture fall apart, family, um, yes, it is the devil, but it's because God allowed it. When you see culture burning up and fires everywhere, you have to realize that this is what the wrath of God looks like. Now, what I want to do is I want to find examples in the Bible to help you understand why we are landing on this definition of the glory of God is His invisible attributes made visible. His invisible character put on display. That's the glory of God. And that's to be understood before we can say, how does my life glorify God? All right. So first what we have to understand is God showed His glory when He made His invisible attributes visible to Moses. Watch this in Exodus 33, verse 18 and 19. Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So here we conclude, after Moses asked God to show him his glory, God revealed himself to Moses because that's what the glory of God is. It's his invisible attributes revealed to man. And God's invisible attribute was revealed in this way to Moses that, number one, he is good. That, number two, he is Lord, whether people like it or not. But here's number three. This is what he said. His glory was revealed in this way, that he is free to be grace, gracious and he is free to be merciful to whomever he chooses. Nobody can demand God be merciful to them. Nobody can demand God's grace. The moment you demand the grace of God, it's no longer grace. Because grace comes freely. So our conclusion here is that glory is revealed when God, who sits, on, who sits outside of His own creation, makes His invisible attributes visible to His creatures. Here I am. He reveals Himself. That's the glory of God. And we see that that's what He did to Moses. Number two, God showed His glory when Isaiah the prophet saw His holiness made manifest in the earth. When he saw God's holiness revealed in the earth, the glory of God was set forth. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now this reading of uh, this verse is pretty striking. Because as you read it, 
You would expect to have had it said, holy, 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 because every time the Bible repeats something three times, it repeats it to the utmost. Holy, holy, holy of holiest. There isn't anything more holy than God's holiness. Do you realize that when God expressed who He is, when He showed Himself to this prophet Isaiah, He didn't say love, love, love. That's not how He, that wasn't His primary attribute. God's primary attribute is His holiness, His otherness, His separateness, His, his moral purity. So holy also has two meanings. Primary meaning is otherness, otherness. He is not part of this creation. You don't find God in trees. Trees may reflect God, but you don't find Him in it, right? So stop hugging those trees. Uh, the climate is not God. Scientists cannot find God. They will never find God because they're searching for God in the creation when in fact He is the Creator sitting outside of His own creation. And they in here with telescopes and microscopes searching for Him. But on top of that, He says that He will be found only to those who search for Him with all their hearts. Those who search for Him in order to disprove Him will never find Him. Unless, of course, He shows mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve it. So here, in this reading, you would think it says, you would, it would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His holiness. But it doesn't say that. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Because what He's saying is that God's holiness is revealed and we behold His glory. So conclusion here is that we see again that God's glory is revealed when His invisible attributes, like His holiness, are made visible to humans. They see His glory. Family, if you, every time you truly see a little snapshot of who God is, your, your inner parts, your heart immediately wants to just say, glory. <laughs> when you see anything about God, you want to say, glory, God. You remember the day that you realized that your sins, which are many, were washed away completely by His grace, His mercy, His goodness, and His forgiveness. What did your heart do? It shouted, glory. Thank you, God. Every single time you see something about God, your heart cries, glory. The third we see is that God shows His glory by expressing His invisible attributes in His creation. He expresses His invisible attributes in His creation. He is not His creation. His creation reflects Him. In Psalm 19, verse 1 and 4, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. They shouting, this is who He is. 
The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak the heavens and the skies. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. The voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. So what this is saying is that day after day, night after night, the entire creation is proclaiming the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. Now that same concept, again, is reiterated in Romans chapter 1 in um, verse 20, which is that the entire creation is an expression of God's glory. Romans 1 verse 20 it says, For since the creation of the world, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. It's right there, isn't it? His invisible attributes are clearly seen in the world, in the universe. Being understood by the things that are made, in other words, the creation, even His eternal power and guarded, so that they are without an excuse. Who? Man. Who lives inside of God's theater is without an excuse. They cannot say, I didn't know there was a God. No, everyone knows that there's a God. All you have to do is you have to look at the creation to know that there is therefore a creator. When we look at the perfectly tuned universe, we are in fact seeing God's invisible attributes made visible. When we see this perfectly tuned universe, we are seeing His incomprehensible knowledge. How did this all get put together so perfectly? The earth is at the perfect distance from the sun and the moon. Everything is perfectly tuned. If anything is out of tune, it'll all go away. And this expresses His incomprehensible knowledge. It expresses His complete and absolute perfection. It expresses His precision and His excellence. These things are all on display when you look at His creation. And it's on display for all to see, so none would ever have an excuse to say, no, they couldn't have been a God. I want you to think about how everything actually glorifies God. The Bible does teach that everything that was created was created for His glory. And man oftentimes takes what God created for His glory and he perverts it, right? Whether it be music, it was created for God's glory, man perverts it. When it was, uh, when it was intimacy between a husband and wife, man perverts it. It doesn't matter what it is. When it is medicine, man perverts it. <laughs> the internet in order to reach the whole world with the gospel, man perverts it. Everything, including you, were created for God's glory. As a matter of fact, God saved you for His glory. That's why you were given the gift of salvation, so God may be glorified in your salvation. But even education glorifies God. Think about how math glorifies God. Math glorifies God because it's put, it puts on display His exactness, His rightness. It puts on display His perfection. 
Contrary to public, uh, contrary to, to popular belief, two and two will never make anything but four. And we didn't come up with it. Science glorifies God because it reveals His genius, His handiwork. History glorifies God because it reveals God's sovereignty over the affairs of man, over rulers, over kings, their kingdoms, and over all who are in authority. History glorifies God because it reveals God's providence and the, the accuracy and the outcome of, all, of hundreds of prophecies. History glorifies God because it reveals God's mercy and God's kindness towards man. Think about it for a moment. If God was not merciful, like with Noah, He would have flooded the whole world, every single generation that ever lived because of their wickedness. But He doesn't. There's a rainbow in the sky. He hung that bow up. It's no longer aimed at us. It's now aimed at Himself. And this is now throughout history how He's treated humanity. It's a display of His mercy and His kindness. History teaches this. Language glorifies God because that is how He reveals Himself to us through scriptures written in our language. We sing praises to God and we worship Him with language. He communicates His character and His attributes to us in an understandable language. Math glorifies God. Science glorifies God. History glorifies God. We see that language glorifies God, but so does logic. You realize that the Bible says that God is love. The Bible says that God is just. That God is righteous, but God is also logic. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word took on flesh. The word word there is logos, is where we get the word logic from. And God, logic isn't God. That's where philosophers get it wrong. Just like the LGBT gets it wrong when they say love is God. No, no, God is love. You see, love does not define who God is. God defines what love is. And in the same way, logic doesn't define God. God defines clear, accurate thinking. Logic glorifies God in the fact that it reveals how completely congruent and perfectly united He is with Himself. How united and congruent every one of His attributes are, one with another. For instance, one attribute is his, his eternality. Another attribute is His justice. Another attribute is His holiness. And they're all connected, right? His holiness is eternally just. His justice is eternally holy. His eternality means all that He is is forever and was always. Every one of His attributes are one with another. And logic glorifies God in the sense that it reveals just how completely congruent and perfectly united He is with Himself. That's why we are told He is one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Actually, the wrath of God glorifies God. How? Because it reveals the justice of God against sin, His hatred for wickedness. You can look at every single subject in life 
It was created for the glory of God. So the conclusion here is that every human on earth lives in God's theater, watching the production of God's handiwork, which leaves every human being without an excuse. So we saw how God revealed Himself to Moses. We saw how God revealed Himself to Isaiah, and so His glory was shone forth. We see how God shows His glory and expresses His glory through nature. And number four, we now see how the law shows forth God's glory by putting His divine character on display. This one really touched my heart in a big way. The law of God, the very part of Scripture many peripheral Christians like to throw out where they, they are not talking about unhitching from the Old Testament. We used to have many members in our church that got very angry whenever I read out of the Old Testament. We've got to do away with that. Hold on to one verse. Which one? Jeremiah 29, 11. For God has a plan for my life. <laughs> Plans to prosper me. <laughs> no, but they wanted to throw everything out away. Everything out, out, out the door. Why? Because we have a new covenant. The old one is done away with. It expressly says that he did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. But because they don't understand the purpose of the Old Testament, we don't understand the purpose of the law, because of that, we trivialize it. We ignore it. We don't want to read it. We don't, we don't even want to put the effort into trying to understand it. However, the law shows forth God's glory. How? By putting His divine character on display. You see, the law of God reveals to us certain things about His attributes, certain things about His character, certain things about His nature, but certain things about His standards. And that follows then that the law itself declares God's glory. Watch this for a moment. We take the Ten Commandments, which is, was a very contentious point back in the day. Somebody came to me and says, the Ten Commandments is the problem, is the reason people don't want Christ. Well, when you look at the Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't lie, don't murder, don't commit adultery, honor your parents, etc., etc. I have a question. How did God decide on those ten what made him say, ah, oh, they shouldn't steal? What caused God to point to certain actions and call them holy and righteous, while pointing to other actions, calling them evil and wicked? How did he separate those? Why didn't he say, no, no, stealing is good, especially if you're hungry. Go ahead and steal. That's holy. You see, God didn't just randomly decide this is evil and that's good. No, no, God decided on laws that would reflect Himself, His attributes, His character, and His nature. That's why they are laws. God commands, thou shalt not steal. Why? Because God is a truthful and completely honest God. Attributes thieves don't have. 
God commands, do not commit adultery. Why not? Because God Himself is the faithful one. God commands, thou shalt not murder. Why not? Because God is a just God. He commands, honor your father. Because there is no one who is more honorable towards his father than Christ was. So when we see the law of God, we're seeing God's nature shone forth into our world. This is the glory of God. We ought to open up the law and see the glory of God. You see, every single law in Scripture speaks of His attributes. The ultimate purpose of the law, listen to this, was not a means of saving people. The Jews don't even believe that today. The law was not there to save you. It was a means of revealing God to the people of God. In James chapter 1 and 23, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing uh, his natural face in a mirror. If anyone looks into the perfect law of liberty and he looks at the word, it's like he's looking at a mirror. And here we see this example in Scripture that shows us that exact same principle. When we look into the law of God, it is like looking into a mirror, showing us ways in which we are not reflecting God. Ways we are not reflecting His glory. Scripture says the law of God is perfect. Well, why is this? Because it reveals God who is perfect. So in light of the fact that the law of God flows from His character, the Old Testament flows from who He is, Romans chapter 3 verse 23 now makes so much more sense to me. Have you ever heard this verse, uh, you know, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God? Like how do we fall short of His glory when we sin? What makes us, what causes us to fall short of His glory because we miss the mark? Now, I've always quoted that verse, but it's never been clearer to me than now. You see, sin actually is the word missing the mark. You know, it's the term missing the mark. And when we sin, we fall short of something. What is it that we fall short of? Well, we fall short of accurately showing who He is. We fall short of accurately portraying our Heavenly Father. We fall short of expressing or manifesting God's character in the earth. We are made in His image for the purpose of reflecting Him into the world. But what happens is this image is like it fell into mud. And it was covered with dirt. And even though God's law is shining upon it, it reflects nothing. Because it's so dirty. It's fallen. It's broken. It's defective. That is what sin is. The image of God not reflecting Him, but reflecting the world or sin instead. That is sin. Misrepresenting God in the earth, that is sin. Not making God, God. So now this makes so much more sense to me when I understand what the glory of God is. The glory of God is His invisible attributes 
made visible through you. When his invisible attributes are made visible through nature. When his invisible attributes are shone forth. But if we sin, we are not shining it. We are not expressing who he is. I know you get it. The fifth example I have here is that Jesus glorified God. Why? Because he was God's express image. The Bible actually says that. Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. You know, just to give a simple example, everybody's seen Batman, you know, where the, the, the image is thrown onto, a, onto the city, right? Well, Jesus is like God projected. Here is God the Father, and Jesus is the projection of God the Father here in this earth. Everything God is, is what He is showing forth. His silhouette, His everything, His character, His attributes. And that's who Jesus is. He's the express image of God the Father here in this earth. That's what Hebrews 1.3 is saying. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of, speaking about Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God. Again, there we go. We have the invisible God being made visible in Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. So our conclusion here is that God is glorified in Christ because Jesus took on the image of God or God's invisible attributes and shone it forth into this world. Now we get, we get, the, we get the point. You know where I'm going with it is that God's invisible attributes are made visible and this is His glory revealed. But here's a question. What is the purpose of His glory being revealed? Well, for lack of time, we're not going to develop any of these. But it's important to know that the goal of the universe is God's glory. The goal of humanity is His glory. You have certain amount of days in your life. And every single one of those days is a container. Every one of us have only 24 hours. The billionaire has 24 hours and the homeless man has 24 hours. The saint has 24 hours and the sinner has 24 hours. What we do with our lives matter eternally. The question is, is God being glorified in this day in which you stand? While your heart is beating, is God being glorified? That is the ultimate purpose of man. To reflect who God is. So the goal of the universe is to glorify God. The goal of humanity is His glory. The goal of your salvation is His glory. That's why you have no part in it. Because if you had a part in it, and people always say, Jacques, why is he such a stickler between Reformed theology and Armenianism? And like, um, because of this very issue right here. Because our salvation was a gift given to us by God because of His love, not because of our value. And if you one day stand at the gates of heaven 
and you will ask, why should you be let in? Are you going to answer that question in the first or third person? Depending on how you answer that question depends on whether you have the gospel or not. Let me say it this way. Depending on how you answer that question depends whether you're sharing His glory or not. You can either say, when they say, why should we allow you into God's heaven? I'm assuming it's Gabriel and Michael. And If you say, because I, you don't understand the gospel. If you say in the third person, because he, you do understand the gospel. If you say, it's because I believed, it's because I repented, it's because, because I came to the cross, because I chose, because I decided, because I followed. You don't understand the gospel. It's because He saved me. The only thing you bring to, the, to your salvation is your sin that made it necessary. Your faith in Christ is God's gift in you. Where do you think that new heart that you have comes from? You didn't cultivate it. He gave it to you. <laughs> right? Where do you think the faith comes from that you have? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that is a gift of God. God's power in you enabling you to believe His promises he did it. He saved you. The purpose of God's glory is not just the goal of the universe is God's glory. The goal of humanity is His glory. The goal of your salvation is His glory, not yours. And here's, here's one that struck me is that the purpose and the goal of evil, the purpose and the goal of evil is God's glory. Now, somebody might say, Jacques, God did not birth fresh evil into the snake. He didn't birth fresh evil into the heart of Judas. God doesn't create the evil inside of people. No, He doesn't. But what I'm saying is the purpose of that evil is to ultimately glorify God because God uses all things, all things to work together for the good. When he says all things, did he refer only to the good things or did he also refer to the bad things in life? Also to the bad and the wicked and the evil things. So it is to be understood that the goal of evil is to glorify God. And as it might shock you, let me point to one example and it'll clear the air, which is the cross of Christ. The crucifixion, the most evil event in human history. Here we see the most powerful, the most perfectly innocent get crushed by the wicked whom he loved. However, this most gruesome and wicked event is also the event that glorifies God more than any other event in history of humanity. Can you see that? Evil, the goal, the end game of evil. Not because evil wants to, because God makes it glorify him. He works it all together for good. In the cross, we find God's love displayed. 
Again, God's love is invisible, but it's made visible on the cross glory. Can you see that? When the invisible attributes of God are made visible, this is the glory of God. At the cross, the mercy of God is made manifest. You didn't know how merciful God was to you until you saw what happened on the cross. At the cross, the purposes of God unfolded. At this wicked event, God's purposes unfold. At this wicked event, His love is shone forth into the world. During this wickedness and this evil, His mercy is shown to you. During this worst possible, darkest moment in the history of humanity, the justice of God is revealed against your sin. So you look at the cross, you go, wow, God is love. You look at the cross, wow, God is merciful. You look at the cross, you go, wow, God is loving. You look at the cross, you go, wow, God is just. He does punish sin. That's my sin He punished. You see the grace of God expressed in giving us a gift we do not deserve and could not earn. All of this is revealed when? By wicked men's hands. You see, wickedness is in fact the backdrop. It's the backdrop and it has the end goal of it. It's used to show forth God's glory. God's invisible attributes, whether it be His mercy, His love, His kindness, whether it be His compassion, whether it be His plans that we do not see, all unfold and are all shown to us at this, during this wicked time. You see, like a jeweler, when you go to buy a diamond, he doesn't just say, hey, here's a diamond, and lift it up into the air. No, what he does is he takes the black velvet, puts it down, and he puts a diamond right on top of it. And in the same way, we see the stars at night, not in the day. Why? Because of how black that night is. So evil has a purpose, which is to show forth God's glorious work. You see, you wouldn't have known forgiveness had it not been for your sin. God's forgiveness is God's invisible attributes displayed in your life. You wouldn't have known healing had you not been sick. Yes, so evil has a goal, and that is to glorify God, is to show forth who He really is. Now, we're going to close with, how do we glorify God? How does my life glorify God? Well, next to the question of faith in Christ, do you have faith in Christ? Next to that question, the most important question you could ever ask is, how can I glorify God more with the life that I have? How can I take these 24-hour containers that I have, because I have limited amount of them, and how can I make sure that each and every one of them count for the glory of God? Not for my own convenience, but for Him. This is important because the purpose of our lives is ultimately to glorify Him. So we glorify God in our lives when we reflect the image of Christ. That's when we glorify God. When we reflect the image of Christ. Remember the example I gave you of a reflector that got dropped into the mud and suddenly it's now covered with dirt and it reflects nothing. That is us as fallen human beings. 
But he comes and he forgives us. He wipes the slate clean. He washes us with his blood. And we again can now reflect his glory. And we do so when we reflect the image of Christ. When you say, Lord Jesus, I repent, you're glorifying God. Because now what's been shone forth is the fact that He loved you, therefore He drew you, therefore He gave you eyes to see your need for Him, therefore He gave you ears to hear the truth, and He drew you to Himself, that's why you repented. All of When you say, Lord Jesus, I repent, like you do during communion, God's glory is shone forth into this world. When you start becoming more like Christ, His glory is shone forth into this world. And I've run through this multiple times, but let me just show you. If I say to my wife, after she, let's say she disrespects me, which she doesn't do. But let's say she does. I don't say, you know, I'm not going to forgive you until you become respectful. You see, now I am the premise of my action. But if what I say is, Honey, I've been forgiven for a lot more than that. And based upon the forgiveness that I've received, because I was forgiven for so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive. That's why we can walk in forgiveness, even with our enemies, even with those who have not repented. I forgive not because you repent. I forgive because I was forgiven. When I show mercy, and here is where humanism creeps into the church. When I show mercy, I don't show mercy because I'm a merciful person. No, I show mercy to people because the amount of mercy I received, I can never out-mercy God. But when I show mercy, I am in fact reflecting who He is. He showed me mercy, I show mercy. He, gave, he forgave me, I forgive. He shows me kindness, I show kindness. He reveals truth to me. I stand in truth before man. Even if they think I'm the enemy, I'm actually not. I'm revealing God to them, which is the greatest possible thing you can do with the life you have. This is how we glorify God. So let me say it this way. The more we accurately imitate Jesus, the more our lives glorify God. We glorify God in our lives when we reflect the image of Christ. Now, as you know, Jesus... divorce scripture from Jesus. You cannot. Those people that go like, I love Jesus. I'm not really into doctrine. They don't love Jesus. They have no idea what they are, how contradictory they really are. That's why people can sing songs and they cry because they moved emotionally. But when it comes to scripture, it's like, I'm not really into that. I'd rather not go to church and listen to a message. I just turn on Bethel. I love it. You know, I'll just listen all day long. I'm close to Jesus, actually. I feel emotional. That's why I'm close to Jesus. That's a lie. 
No, you're close to Jesus because you imitate Him, reflect Him accurately. <laughs> That's what it means to be close to Him. Does it make sense? Yes. How can I reflect Christ? I reflect Christ. By the way, I submit to the Word of God because you cannot divorce the, divorce the Word and Jesus. They're one and the same. So what I do with the Scriptures is, in fact, what I do with Christ and how I reflect the Scriptures or how, how I come in line, align myself with Scriptures is how I am reflecting Him into this world. Jesus is the one who said, pray this way, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And my call to you today is to be God's answer to Christ's prayer. You show forth God's glory here on the earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, today we hear you clearly. We look into your word and we understand that life is about you being glorified. Not because you're a narcissist, but because that is the only possible way of overcoming evil, wickedness, and darkness. You gave us the privilege and the honor of being those who ought to reflect you into this world. And God, today I know that you are pointing to our hearts. You are showing certain things in our lives that absolutely do not reflect you accurately. As a matter of fact, some of the things we are involved with and do misrepresent you in a horrible way. We ask you, God, to help us. Help us turn. Help us repent. And help us be the ambassadors here on earth as we ought to be. Heaven's ambassadors. God reflectors. Christ followers. Believers in your promise. In Jesus' name. Amen.